welcome to episode 13 of the Baseball from the Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand, and we are always brought to you by the House of L podcast network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe has been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio, and you can find us both on Twitter at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand One. As always, you can rate and review the pod. We really like it when you do that. It gives us an ego boost, and Lord knows everybody needs one now and again. But mostly, it it helps to spread the podcast around to people that you think might like it. Nobody wants to be the guy that's like, hey, I got this podcast you have to listen to, because that's just annoying. So if you rate it with five stars, it'll push it around with the algorithm to all the other people. It's, It's like magic. It's perfect. Every show we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox in no particular order. Uh, we'll tackle the biggest stories around Major League Baseball as well. And and really, conveniently for us, Joe, the White Sox are as big a story in Major League Baseball as almost anything going. They took away some of the Cubs' spotlight in Sunday Night Baseball. I mean, Matt Vasgersian kind of broke away from the Cubs-Cardinals game to talk about the White Sox. And I'm, I'm sure Cub fans are not too thrilled about something like that happening. No, no, they are not. Uh, Cubs have their own problems as well. I, I would imagine Matt Vasgersian's breaking away from the Cubs' conversation so they can deal with the positives of the White Sox. Uh, none of this, though, possible without David Hochberg. And the fine folks at Team Hockberg. I secured my mortgage with Team Hockberg. One of the best decisions I made during the home buying process. The other best decision I made was, you know, uh, buying a home and having a place to live. Going with Team Hockberg, the number the number one best decision that I made. I, I had a, a bounce back and forth, really strange process. And the entire time, everybody at Team Hockberg had my back and answered every question I had with, don't worry about it. We've got you. You will have what you need. We promise. Give them a call, 855-56-DAVID, or head to the website, 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So, as Matt Vaskersian and the rest of the Sunday Night Baseball crew on ESPN tie things up with the Cubs and Cardinals, Joe and I figured we'd get an early start, watch this Cubs-Cardinal thing come to the end, and start the podcast talking about the absolute joy that has been the Chicago White Sox over the last, well, let's be honest, over the entirety of the season. The White Sox are now 26-15, and 15, having swept the Royals, 70.2 and 40.5 on COVID math. On winning percentage, they're at 634 on top of the AL Central. The Cleveland Indians are at 625, and don't forget, we're going by winning percentage this year because COVID sucks. They're on top. The the White Sox are one of the best teams going in baseball. And sure, like we've said this all the time, right, Joe? They have their warts. There are issues. They're not the Dodgers where they just call up another guy and that guy turns into one all. But they are a damn good ball club. They're very exciting. And they seem talented enough in two or three areas to be able to overcome the issues that, that might crop up on them in a series against a... a, a a nominally better team. They are impressive as hell. White Sox fans better be gracious as hell to finally be arguing about sixth inning bullpen moves by their manager because that's basically what it's come down to. A four-game sweep is tough to do, no matter who it's against, no matter where it's at. So you have to give credit to a team that takes care of business when they need to. I know I know the main 
conversation that was brought up after losing two or three to the Twins is, oh, they can't win against good teams. But, I mean, they bounced back from it right away. They played good baseball. And the other thing is the Royals did put up a fight in those four games. I mean, there's still some resiliency that they had to battle through, and it just comes down to the White Sox playing their game of their offense creating these innings and not so much running away with the game, but just just every time Kansas City slowly started to creep back, they just turned on a switch. And Connor, this offense, this team is so much better. Even though they've already they're already pretty pretty good, they're so much better when Yasmani Grandal and Edwin Encarnacion and Nomar Mazzara are contributing, and that's what's happening right now. That was the that was the at bat I've been waiting to see from Edwin Encarnacion all season long. The two run shot he hit today, um, Stamatz pitching out of the Kansas City Royals bullpen, and you know he's on back to back days. He's their kid with with 102, you know the the lightning bolt for an arm kind of thing and a sick breaking ball, and he just he he had his stuff but just like 85% of it. And Stone, on the broadcast, Stoney noticed it right away, right? I mean, that first fastball came in at 97 and immediately saying, oh, that's a change of pace. But that's the most difficult thing for a hitter to determine is actual velocity when it's coming at you. So I don't think it clicked for Edwin in that at bat that this kid didn't have, you know, 100% of his stuff. And you could see on the one pitch he kind of flinched on and didn't go that that he, you could see it in his stance because as he steps back in to go get the breaking ball for the next pitch, he's like, oh, okay. You could just, There was more confidence coming in and he knew that this wasn't going to be the sharp stuff that this kid has thrown to everybody in the American League. I, I think he's going to be a very good reliever. He's got control problems like everybody else who's thrown 102 and is 23 years old. So he gets the rolling curveball and he just beats the hell out of it for a shot that puts the White Sox up another two runs. They would, after that, space it out a little bit more in Sunday's game. That's the that's the vet at bat that Rick Hahn wanted to space this lineup out. That's that approach. That's that understanding that the White Sox have been looking for for a while out of some of their you know contending rosters and certainly from some of the subpar rosters that they've had. Really, though, what, what hit me was a graphic that uh, the NBC Sports Chicago team threw up there. I, I'm sure it's a Chris Kampka get, right? What What isn't on that broadcast? Because he's fantastic. Jose Abreu is fifth in batting average in the American League. He's tied for third in home runs. He's first in runs batted in. He is fourth in slugging percentage. Tim Anderson, these are all AL rankings unless I tell you otherwise. Tim Anderson is first in batting average in the American League at 360. He's second in runs scored at 53, uh, sorry, 35. He's fifth in slugging percentage at 616. And remember, that kid hits leadoff a lot. He's slugging 616. <laughs> Luis Robert is first among rookies in home runs. He is first among rookies in RBI. He's first among all center fielders with nine defensive runs saved. And the catch he had Saturday night was incredible. The break he got, laying out for that baseball, that is perfect center field play we've seen him make those catches a lot on the minor league highlight reels and every time it was just oh yeah look at this kid in the minors can't wait for him to come up but when you actually see it on a major league television broadcast and a major league field and a major league uniform it just it really just pops up a little bit more because of what we've seen him do this year so far already that that replay that they did 
just really opened my eyes to not just how far he had to travel, but just how quickly he had to get there. And the positioning that he put his body in was the only way to make himself capable of catching that ball. And it was so cool because they slowed down the replay in like every frame of the shot. I'm thinking, no, it's not physically possible for him to get there. I know he catches it. I know, but it's like, no, like he's way too far with how fast the ball's coming down. There's there's no way he's going to get there. And lo and behold, he actually gets there. Uh, what did Jose Abreu call him the other week? Mike Trout from Cuba. I I think we need to we need to coin that and and just hammer it in until it becomes Mike Trout is the Luis Robert from America. Yeah, there it is. That's what White Sox fans are looking for. They're going to be calling uh, Mike Trout Luis Robert Light. Right, that's that's the idea here that you're going <laughs> yeah. for. Just, yeah, Mike. Mike was really good. He's a really good ball player for a long. He's not Luis Robert though. He's oh, he's good he's ball not Luis Robert. Good try. Thanks for checking in. I Stoney said something. You know, and I the guy's like a baseball sage, so I I listen when he talks. But he said something today that I I also just kind of took for granted and nodded along with. And I wonder if a lot of other White Sox fans and people who watch the team all the time are are with me on this. He mentioned that Luis is you know, without question, going to be a middle-of-the-order bat at some point in his major league career, and probably soon. And the reason that it that it hit me was it's because he, he said it, Stoney did, after Luis stole his first base of the day today. Um, one that they had to go to review to and check to make sure that the, you know, protective sliding glove that he wears actually got to the base beforehand, because I think he was called out at first, but, or called out, in the first place, not at first, but called out on first call. Um, he gets a stolen bag, and there you are watching a guy with elite speed, a whole bunch of steals, and that guy is is clearly going to be a middle-of-the-order type guy as soon as he understands the strike zone just a little bit better. And White Sox fans have a really cool analog in that with Eloy Jimenez. You look at the way he's learned to control a strike zone over his time in Major League Baseball already. And you go, okay, that's how a guy translates some of the some of the sheer ability and into just a bit of savvy and understands how that on-base percentage pops up 10, 15, 20, 25 points and becomes that much better a hitter. Well, and I feel like I've already we've already seen him do some of those things just in the weeks that he's been here. I mean, how great was his awareness at the plate right from the get-go? And then, okay, the pitching staff on the opposing end starts to figure him out a little bit, starts to find those holes. It's those sliders low and away that he just sometimes can't lay off of. But how you mentioned... He just needs to get a little bit better at that, like just a little bit. We're, talk- we're still talking about a rookie. Like what he's doing right now is what you expect from a phenom in their second or third year. And I agree with you in the placement of the lineup. I, I know a lot of White-, White Sox fans were pleased on Saturday. Ricky Renneria's lineup against Kansas City with Anderson, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez, Mancata, Robert, McCann, Angle, and Madrigal, uh, one through nine. I like it too, but here's the other positive thing. I feel like you can move Grandal, who's number two, Mancada's number five, and Robert number six. You can move any of those three any way you want, and you're still going to get a productive lineup. Interesting. Like that 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 just show like that that was the only that was the only opinion I had on it. I'm like, I, I do like the idea of Robert hitting second. 
and I love the idea of Mankata hitting second. But yeah, okay, Grandal, and I, just those three guys you can move around. Yeah, and that is still a very productive, lethal lineup. See, I'm I'm with you there. I I love being as flexible as possible with a lineup. I do like though, and I, I don't know if this is old school. You tell me if you think it is. I really like the idea of being able to put a switch hitter in the second spot in my lineup just because of what that does, especially with, you know, your three batter minimum now and being able to, you know, in the old days, the old days, like last year, um, you, you know, you could turn a pitcher around or something like that. You'd make somebody go to the bullpen, you know, if they didn't want to, cause they'd face the leadoff man. And then that second guy comes in, you know, if you're in the right spot of the order, especially if you've got, you know, a, a somewhat talented nine hitter, which I think the White Sox will have at some point, you know, once Nick Madrigal is, is really up and going and being Nick Madrigal. He's at least um, a very, you know, from the defensive side of the ball, you would call him pretty chaotic, right? Everything he has is going to get put into play. That creates chaos. It allows for that one hitter come up, likely with a man on base. Tim slugging 616, like we just talked about. And I really like the idea of, you know, if you're going 9-1-2 in a lineup like that, turning things over... That two hitter, if one of the if nine or one gets on, he's the guy where you have to make the bullpen decision, go left, go right. Then your three hitter, which I would imagine if Ricky's making out the lineup and Jose's still breathing, it'll be Jose Abreu. Now you got to make that call, right? Now you got to go. Okay, not only do I have to choose this two hitter and and who he faces, but if I get that wrong, or if he just if like lets one bleed through the infield and he gets on. Now it's Abreu facing the guy I do not want him facing, and there's two men on. I I love that dangerousness. I, I totally get that. The only thing I'll say to take it maybe one step further is it's it's even so much more valuable when you've got a switch hitter hitting number two who's got some power because then that, yeah. that makes it all the more difficult of who to bring in. Like if it's if it's just a... I don't know. I, I don't want to say a weak hitting, but a contact hitting switch hitter. You can be like, all right, yeah, he can hit from both sides of the plate, but our guy's a ground ball pitcher. You know, maybe we can get him to roll it over and we'll we'll shift the defense. But but when you get a guy like Mancata who has that that threat of putting the ball into the stands as well, it, it makes it all the more difficult. So that's why the White Sox just right now kind of have an embarrassment of riches in that aspect. Uh you I, I, I do want when we get to the major league discussion, I've got some Rule change questions for you that I want to pick your brain with. That's a tease if I've ever heard one. Do you think do you think Luis Robert wins rookie of the year? Of course. Yeah. I, I really yes. I I mean he's he, he's not gonna win the MVP, but he's starting to catch the entire nation's eye about it. I mean, yeah, I I don't see anyone else I, I can't even name a rookie off the top of my head that's giving him a run for the money. The, the other reason is because so many guys are making their major league debuts this year, too. Yeah, I well, so Kyle Lewis is the guy, right? Seattle's center fielder. He's 25 years old. If you look at the war numbers, which I'm, I'm going to give war numbers, and, and I know everybody listening who's who's really attuned with the numbers thing are probably going to tear their hair out because it's like, Connor, it's 35 games. I know. I know it's and 35 And this is your games. exact argument from last I podcast. I know. Too, it's ridiculous. Don't do the numbers. And even like even like Luis Roberts' nine defensive runs saved in center field, right? Sure, it's center field, and presumably there are more chances there than like, I don't know, a first baseman or a corner guy or something. But it's 35 games, and it doesn't matter. Still, 
Your war number for Robert is 2. Your war number for Kyle Lewis is 1.6. Kyle Lewis is a 164 OPS plus. He's just, he's killing the ball. Uh, Luis Roberts OPS plus is 145. Slash line, average on base slugging. I'll give you Roberts first. It's 278, 331, 586. Uh, that's not counting Sunday's game. I should tell you that too. And Kyle Lewis coming into uh, Sunday, 328, 418, 527. He's got eight home runs. Luis has 11. Luis, who's been at the top of the lineup a little bit more often, has 27 runs driven in. Kyle Lewis has 21 runs driven in. Robert, and I will update this with the night, he's got five bags, and Kyle Lewis has two. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Lewis is having a great season, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the Rookie of the Year over, you know, health being equal and, and seasons continuing the way they do. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins it over Robert. But right now, when when you look at where the flash is going to matter, Robert has that edge because of the way he plays, because of the, the tools he can put on display. Not that Lewis doesn't have these things. I, I really like Kyle Lewis. But Robert's got hearts, man. He's... Uh, He's he can sell the jeans. He's got the whole thing going on. Well, and I, I'm sure right now it helps that he's on the White Sox, who, who kind of like yes, they deserve all the attention that they're getting. But I I, I also love the fact how it's a little manufactured, like Tim Anderson calling out ESPN to cover the White Sox more, and just fans badgering ESPN and Jeff Passan getting heckled because he brings up the White Sox and then he misspells Danny Mendick's name. Like I, I kind of really enjoy that because it's it's ESPN somewhat making fun of themselves, but also throwing White Sox fans a bone, a much very well-deserved bone. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's on top of, of this Luis Robert guy because of the comparisons that came up right away. And I, I again, it just, it's just, just the fact that this year, it's year one, and he looks like, I mean, he's doing veteran-like things. Not not every at-bat, not every play in the outfield, but he does just show these signs of just incredible raw talent. You know, the, the dirty secret about White Sox fans is that they actually love being on the defensive and being able to call out ESPN for all of their crap, right? I mean, that's that's the dirty secret that White Sox fans will share with you in the bowels of a hotel while you're while you're at Sox Fest on Sunday afternoon when everyone's gone and they're still there, it's like you know what? <laughs> I love that they don't remember us. Uh, it's my you know what I mean. That's it's true. It's just that's how it works, and I love it. I absolutely love it. You're absolutely right. I mean, I grew up on the South Side, and it's always you you run into people that are not from Chicago, and they're like, oh, so you know you're a Cub fan, and my friends would be like, are you kidding me? No one ever understands who what we have to deal with. Everyone thinks we're all Cub fans. No, no, it's it's it's. It's not little brother syndrome, but it's definitely like you said. They they it's like close. <laughs> they like that identity, and they like to prove people wrong all the time. Do you? Um, what would it take for Jose Abreu to? What would it take for Jose Abreu to win an MVP? I I, it's the death of Mike Trout, right? I mean, it's like, I I I love Jose Abreu, but but listen. Mike Trout is Mike Trout, and, and that's probably going to be it and all. But there is every reason for that man, for Jose Abreu, to be a top three guy. I think what it would take is 
doing what he's doing right now, and I mean that in the sense of, yeah, obviously he's on a 20-game hitting streak. His numbers are through the roof at the moment. Uh, Steve Stone continues to hound it because he's incredibly right. It's the fact that he's just doing whatever he wants with the ball in order to score runs. Like, how many times in that Kansas City series did we see him yeah. reach low and outside for a slider that he had no business hitting, and he just knows exactly where to place it? Because you know what? There's a runner on second base, and we need to bring in that run, and he's just so good at doing that right now. And it's just a combination of talent and being incredibly locked in, and that's what he is right now. I think the defensive uh, attribute helps as well. Um, maybe even give a little credit to Tim Anderson and Yohan Mankata constantly throwing balls in the dirt so he can showcase off his glove that way a little bit. Um, but I also think, I don't know, I, I, they don't really take leadership into account in the MVP voting. But again, this is, this is a White Sox year as of right now. They're doing a lot of good things to gain this recognition, and their players are getting a lot of exposure. So... Yeah, I mean, he's he's got to, like I said, he's got to continue what he's doing right now. I think that's the difference maker, but I think it's it's a very tough hill to climb. You you mentioned that Jose is doing what he wants to with the baseball. It just, it sparked a memory. I, I remember watching him in 2017, you know, covering a game, doing pre and post. I swear to you, Joe, Jose Abreu hit a 1-1 fastball aimed at his neck into right field for a single. I've... I, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it was, it was going to bury itself in his neck and he just did that thing with the quick short hands and dumped it into right field for a single. I, I've, I've never, never really seen anything like it. Um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> On Matt Spiegel's hit and run, he had Chris Camco, we mentioned earlier. Did you know that Ian Happ just took the lead for most home runs at Wrigley Field this year? And he just, he just passed yes. Jose Abreu. yes. I did. I I heard it, but I, or maybe I read it on Campus Twitter. I don't know. Uh, I, I I I that was in my brain, so I assume I saw Chris Kramp get tweeted or something like that. That's a, that's amazing. That's a, it's amazing. <laughs> it's three games. It's three absolutely games. amazing. Um, let's not to end on a on a completely down note with the White Sox here, but it bears discussion, right? Dallas Keuchel comes out of the game today, and uh, it's it's a it's a back strain. It looks like. So that's no good. And of course, um, you know, White Sox fans knew exactly who was coming in out of the bullpen. It's Jimmy Cordero because Jimmy works every day. Uh, man's arm's going to fall off at some point. It's Labor Day weekend. But, but Happy Labor Day weekend. Yeah, right. And and Jimmy works. Jimmy's like, Labor Day, so I'm working. Great. Perfect. I, I don't... Um, First of all, here's hoping Keiko's fine, right? Like, it's hopefully a turn in the rotation. Actually, uh, let me bring up... So the Sox are off Monday, right? Then it's Tuesday and Wednesday against the Pirates, and then off Thursday, and then the Tigers for the weekend, correct? Which I I think is a schedule they've had before, right? I think we've done actually a Sunday episode of this, and it's been off day, two against the Pirates, then the Tigers for the weekend. So great timing um, to get hurt. Like, this is is the moment to do it. Not that Keiko's going to pick any moment. But I... You know, depth is an issue here. You are short a body already, in my opinion, um, after the trade deadline and not picking up an arm. You are now short another body with Ronaldo Lopez being, I, I don't know. I don't think he's persona non grata or anything, but I don't think he's getting 
I, I don't think he's getting a starting spot. Unless it gets real disastrous. No, no. Um, it it hurts. It hurts because it's it's the biggest hole for the White Sox right now. I mean, that's why it's so dangerous. The thing that scares me about it is Keiko looked fantastic today. Like he he looked beautiful, and all of a sudden that just comes up. I, I think he was dealing with it earlier in the season in the St. Louis series. So so that's what worries me. It just it can come up out of nowhere because what if something like that happens in the playoffs? Hate to say it, but if it can just come out like that out of nowhere, that's what's scary about it. Um, again, that the, the biggest worry for the White Sox right now is their starting rotation depth, and we know that it'll be a Giolito, Keuchel 1-2, or vice versa come playoff time. So when that guy is dealing with something, it's his lower back, right? Lower back stiffness? I, th- I think so. That's what it sounds like. They've been a little coy about things, but that's what it sounds like. Right. So, I, I mean, again, it didn't seem to affect him when he was pitching, but the fact that it can just come up in the sixth inning or the seventh inning or whatever it was and, and pull him out of the game, that's what makes it scary. Um, I, I don't think the White Sox bullpen is as dangerous as people think it's been over the past week. I just think, you know, the sample size has just expanded. I mean, they still have a lot of great tools um, Aaron Bummer is still on the injured list, um, so th- there are still some things to be had from there. But you're right. I mean, if Keuchel goes down, whether it's for a moment or for a large break or at a really crucial time like the end of the year, the options to replenish that role are not that great. So that's that's where it, it comes to worry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would think this is this is me kind of projecting a little bit and given what I know about the organization a little bit too I would think that they're not going to go to a kid like Garrett Crochet even if the central is on the line essentially you know I mean if they're if Keiko's down for 3 weeks and um you need to first of all even if they were looking at Crochet I don't think it'd be a start I think it'd be bullpen work which could be helpful but I, I don't think that that's something they're looking to do, especially given the fact that the kid only threw three and a third or three and two thirds or something like that at Tennessee because of you know the pandemic and whatnot. I, I don't expect for that the organization to look at their assets that way. I, I really don't. I would agree, and I, I think your evidence is what they did at the trade deadline. I mean, yes, they understand they've got a situation to win this year, but they're they're not going to do anything too drastic that could really hinder their chances of moving forward with the young core and and the core in the minor leagues that they still have. I mean, I think that's evidence enough that they're not going to, they're not going to screw around with that. They're not going to just tinker with things just, just to go off. I I think they know what they have with what they have right now. And they think it's good enough to make a good enough run in the playoffs. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe that's a Bernardo Flores junior thing. Maybe it's a Stever thing. If there's health there, um, maybe, Maybe the biggest thing is is Dane Dunning extending himself a little bit and feeling a little bit more healthy. Maybe the biggest thing, though, really, is my guy Dylan Cease truly figuring it out and being a little bit more consistent. And and I don't even mean, like, necessarily for him to turn into the pitcher that we all know he can be or whatever, right? It's just, it's find a way to get three or four more outs a day. You know, when you're when you're pitching, when it's your assignment... You got to find me three or four more outs. That's what we're talking about. That's the deal. That's the ask. Oh, that's that's totally fair. And um, 
he's kind of the wild card of this rotation, no? I mean, he's he's the third guy pretty oh, much. Uh, unless unless Dane Dunning really comes through through the rest of this year and just steals that spot from him. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I mean, this is his opportunity to not only be the number three this year, but maybe even move up higher than that next season. And he's he's been given the opportunity. He has he has the potential. He has the stuff. We talked about it multiple times. He has elite stuff when he can control it and when he knows how to work it. But it's either mechanics or it's location of the zone. It's always one thing. And until he just brings it all together and is able to just be at his best, he's still going to be that shaky wild card that we don't know too much about. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is, is going to be him figuring out a a more consistent third pitch. I, I don't think that's this season's, you know, hurdle or whatever. Um, but it's just, it you know, it's working with a catcher. It's working with, you know, kind of an understanding of your, of your charts and of, of your, of the hitters that you're facing. You just, you have to bear down and gut out another three outs, another four outs. That's critical to the White Sox at this point, especially if your next start's going to be against the Pirates or the Tigers. You know, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with the rotation with the two off days. They've got a little play there, and they know how healthy Keuchel is. Really, we don't. But one of his next starts going to be Pirates or Tigers, so you better go grab that one, buddy. Well, that's an interesting point you bring up. I mean, even just for conversation's sake, what if he takes the Lucas Giolito route and and removes a pitch from your regular arsenal and he just goes with the fastball change? I mean, we know how wicked his fastball can be. His changeup seems like his most reliable pitch so far this year, and I think his curveball can be his best. So what if he doesn't even start throwing that until the third inning yeah. and then just brings it out of nowhere and really fools these guys? I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he needs somebody. I'm sure it's happening. I'm not saying that there's a lack of leadership from the veteran staff that are pitchers, but maybe there's somebody that like really needs to work with them and just maybe figure out his him throwing his stuff just a little bit better. That's a good point. You know, I you know I I am the podcast Dylan Cease Stan, right? It's very difficult for me to move off of that position, and I that curveball is is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, and I am loath to give it up. But there are a lot of guys with big curveballs that have either shelved them or changed the usage in a big way because of what that pitch is. You know, that big twelve six over the top hook kind of thing. It it's hard to throw for strikes. Um, Maybe that does need to. But if you're already ahead, well, that's true. That's the like thing. get ahead. That's that's if, fair. Yeah, if you're already ahead in the count, if you got the hitter on their toes and not sure what's coming next, it doesn't matter where you're throwing the curveball as long as it's close enough. Let's get to uh, the headlines around Major League Baseball and this tease that you pay that you gave me here because that's uh, that's twenty something minutes of solid White Sox stuff and it's and it's great. It's like a it's a celebration on the South Side. Let's go. Um, but so you, you teased me, what, what was, uh, what are the rules changes? What are we thinking about? Yeah. So I had a friend bring this up to me. Um, and, and I, I also have a a couple ideas that follow with it, but what if they removed the three batter rule in the playoffs? You keep it during the regular season, but you remove it in the playoffs. So, I mean, then you, then you get your dead on dead matchups. You still get your pace of play in the regular season, 
I mean, I know they want playoff games to go quicker, but do they really care? No, no, no they don't. Well, okay, well, so have they said out loud? Like, I, this is weird because everything is, like, it, I just assume everything can change whenever they want it to change. Well, it can. We've seen that. Have they said out loud that that they're going to go with a runner on second base in the playoffs in extra no, innings? No, no, that, that is for sure not happening. That is only a regular season thing. Right, but that. so what I'm asking is, have they said we're for sure not doing this, or did they just put the rule in for the regular season? I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure they... <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. Do you think... Well, so, so here's what I'm asking. We, you and I both, flayed the runner on second base in extra innings, and so did dozens of national writers. Sam Miller of ESPN, who I, I revere as one of the finest baseball writers out there brutalized this idea for the better part of three months and sam sam miller of all people has come around to the runner on second idea in extras because of the action we've seen happen it hasn't always been great action and sometimes guys throw the ball to third for no damn reason but it's been fun to watch and it's different so i i guess what i'm asking before we get to this three batter minimum thing is if they're willing enough to go, yeah, let's put the runner on second base in the playoffs, then hell yeah, they'll take the they'll take the pitcher out for for or or they'll they'll take the three batter minimum. I, I cannot see them keeping the runner at second in the playoffs. I just I cannot. Um, for the record, I am a fan of the rule only during the regular season. I I have witnessed it firsthand for the past two years in the minors. I see the benefits. I still wish everyone else would see the benefits that I do. Um, But no, I do not. And I don't want it to be a playoff rule. I only want it to be a regular season rule. It just makes the most sense to me that way. It's like the shootout in hockey. Sure. You know, you go back, you go back to the to the regular old school rule, and then you get your marathon games. Uh, the one thing Jed Hoyer brought up, he, he mentioned this on the score. He said uh, he likes the runner at second rule, but he wishes it would only happen in the eleventh inning. Or uh, sorry, it would it would happen starting the eleventh in the eleventh inning. So tenth inning. So you get a clean tenth. Correct. But the one part he brought up, and I've never heard this argument, and I totally agree. He said you lose your value of at-bats from players because how many times, and this is, this is without the runner at second, because how many times are people just trying to swing away and end the game with one cut? They don't, they're not caring about their at-bat. All they want to do is just blast a pitch over the wall so you're losing value of at-bats, and that's why these innings take so long sometimes. And I'm like, you know what? I totally agree with that. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm, I really am coming around on the runner at second base. Um I, I really didn't like it at first, but I, what I have noticed and what I find so interesting is I, I expected the defense to play that guy as a run that was going to score. You know what I mean? And especially in the top half of the 10th, you've seen so many plays to cut that guy down at third if possible. If there's a squibber, if there's a bunt or anything else out in front of you. Um, you hell, you've seen plays at the plate. With nobody out, you know, coming home and trying to cut that runner down. It's, I did not anticipate for the defense to offer that kind of excitement to that inning. And, um, and that's on me, right? Like, I, I didn't see that coming. And that's been so much more fun to watch. If, you know, if you can guarantee me that that defensive heart race will happen in a full 162-game season, um you know, and not just because we're playing 
60 games in 65 days or whatever this is, that guys aren't just like hopped up and ready to roll, then, then yeah, I guess, I guess I'm in. I don't, I don't think they're going to take away the three batter minimum for pitchers in the playoffs, but I think it will more have to do with health than it will anything else. You're going to, I mean, you're going to see so many more pitchers go down in the next three to four weeks that teams are just going to be, I think, so many playoff teams are going to be limping in with bullpen situations that that look like AAA teams would. And I, I don't think that that they're going to change those rules because it would benefit the healthy bullpen just by luck in, in such a big, big swing. Okay, I, I did not know where you were going with that until you mentioned that part, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, because I, then you, I just think I think it takes something that's so uncontrollable, you know, the health of your team right. throughout, and throws so much more onto. Well, did you stay healthy? Well, then you get these bonus points, and it's just, <laughs> I I don't I don't love that imbalance. Yeah. Okay. But uh, like moving forward, I I I like the idea. It's yeah. Let's get Josh Hader against. Uh, Bryce Harper because that's the matchup we need to see and that's what you want your viewers seeing for one batter and that well no they'd obviously keep Hater in longer but but you know something along those lines just power against power big name against big name in the playoffs um, I don't think it's like a lost art in baseball or anything like that but I think it, it makes sense to just bring it back in the playoffs that's what I would say I'd be okay with it I, re- I really would be okay with it because I I do think that once you get to the playoffs we were already doing like four and a half hour games and because baseball is provincial, as as, view, as viewerships are as pre- provincial as they are, every single Padres fan is glued to the game and never going away. Those are the marketplaces you're looking for anyway, right? Um, so I, I don't think time of game matters as soon as you get to a, a playoff situation at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, did you see Joe West throw Mike Rizzo out of the game for no damn reason? <laughs> I did see that, and I isn't just the craziest part about it. Wasn't Joe West anti mask wearing when the season started? Like that's what I don't get. It's like if I die, he was like, he was like Drago in in Rockies. Like if he <laughs> dies, he dies. Like that, like what are you doing, Joe? What are we doing? My favorite part. I've watched the footage like six or seven times. He chucks Mike Rizzo out of the game because he's up in his box by himself with no one around him. So, you know, Joe West was apparently feeling lonely and needed the cameras of the nation on him for a solid five minutes. And they so they were. But the camera pans to him and then he adjusts his mask to make sure that it's not covering his nose. Dude, you just threw a guy out for not wearing a mask. How are you going to not put your mask on properly seconds after that? What are you doing? Kettle, meat, pot. You are both black. It's oh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, again, I, I don't know. Do you think Rizzo maybe was saying something? I mean, I know he's all the way up there, but is Joe West really just looking up there and saying, yeah, we need to throw him out? <laughs> it's like, where does that come from? It it comes from not being loved, maybe, as a child. It comes to, <laughs> I don't, I really, maybe like a bad sandwich before the game. I don't know where it comes just from. Just because, like, I, I've always heard the argument of, of bad umpiring being why do you have to make the game about yourself and he, like even if I've tried to give the umpire the benefit of the doubt it's like no maybe they're just stubborn and they don't like that call or they really think this way it's like that is the definition of making it about yourself because you are throwing out somebody 
hundreds of feet away just because they're not doing something that you agreed with just a few months ago. Every time, every time Joe does something like this, every time Joe West does something like this, where he like, you know, chucks a general manager out from 700 feet away or, you know, whatever. I've just, I've always expected him to like turn to the camera and go, and now a few songs from my album. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just <laughs> expect him to just like grab a camera and start singing Friends in Low Places or something. I don't know. He needs an 80s sitcom catchphrase or something. Like, did I do that? Right when he does something stupid. <laughs> That's Joe. And we'll be back after this break. So, let's get to the Cubs. 23-18 and 18 after losing 75 in a row to the St. Louis Cardinals. 62.1 and 48.6 with the COVID math. In all seriousness, though, Joe, um, you know, we're going to get to some of the issues that they're facing, some of the injuries, some of the age, and some of the lack of depth that they're having. But a very a, a somewhat and potentially serious thing happened tonight with Jason Hayward leaving the game reading through tweets of those who cover the ball game Jordan Bastian MLB.com being one of them Hayward left in the 5th because of lightheadedness and shortness of breath Bastian tweeted uh not long ago as we're recording this just a little while ago that Hayward was sent to the hospital for further testing and more is going to be known on Monday. Um, I, everybody's first reaction is going to be, is he sick? Does he have the virus? Um, obviously, shortness of breath and lightheadedness can be so much more, and it can be nothing. I don't want to be in the speculation game, but you know, you mentioned it as we were getting set and ready to go here. They're playing the Cardinals. The Cardinals have had COVID issues it's really hard to not look at the potential of what this could be, not just for Jason and his ball club, but also the Cardinals and the rest of baseball, just because that's the world we inhabit right now. When we first started this podcast, I mean, a lot of our first couple of episodes was talking about, yeah, the season likely not even being able to be finished because of how quickly COVID was contracted and spread and how many teams were obtaining it. And even though that was kind of still a conversation, MLB, whether they were playing dumb or just wanted to roll with the punches, I mean, it just it just kind of died down, that whole conversation. And yes, right now we are totally speaking from a speculation standpoint. We don't know anything for sure. But if the Cardinals are taken away from playing more games when they are the team that needs to make up games the most, that's really going to pay dividends in finishing out this major league season because how do you do it? And it's very difficult to get that done. You almost can't. Um, it would have to be something like that that finishes the season, that, that were to end the season. It's I think Major League Baseball has made the effort, made the conscious decision to say the hell with it and just play regardless and get in as many games as possible. The only thing that, that really stops thing and is, 
I don't know. Maybe they maybe they'd be fine just disqualifying a team because they couldn't finish enough games. You know, I, I know they want to do the winning percentage thing, but you know, the Cardinals already had seven double headers on the slate in the next four weeks. I, I don't know how much more baseball you can add to that and still hope that it's resembling anything close to quality. I mean, and that's wild, and that's that's such uh that's such crap for the St. Louis Cardinals too, who are really starting to find their stride right now. I mean, that is, it's not really fair to them. Um, say what you want with orig- the original contraction of COVID when they did and, and the speculation of how they got it. But, but still, I mean, this is, this is a team that would just have to sit out the rest of the way. I mean, that's, that's tough to do. And then the other thing is what about all the teams that they're supposed to play as the season goes along? Like, what are they supposed to do for three days at a time? Just, just have it off. It's not like you can try to make up games with other teams because odds are they don't have a day off and, you know, with travel and everything. So, yeah, I mean, if, again, this is all speculation, but if it does come to the worst, that is a huge monkey wrench into this whole plan. Here's here's hoping it's nothing, uh, and it's just a, a blip on the radar screen for Hayward. Here's hoping that it's absolutely not COVID and absolutely nothing more serious and that it's just a, a routine checkout and just some weird thing that happened. Um you know, I, I, we've, we've talked a lot. We don't have to spend too much more time on it only because we've spent a lot of time on it before. Jason Hayward is an absolutely wonderful human being and deserves to be revered as such. I mean, that's just, that's that kind of guy. Um, hopefully it's nothing as, as the Cubs have, have dropped game after game to the Cardinals here though, after winning the first dropping both in a double header and then Sunday night's game with Monday nights still to come against the Cardinals five and four days. I, I don't want to say that the Cardinals are a better team or that the Cubs aren't the team we thought they'd be or that the first part of the season was a mirage. Even I think what's clear here. And if, and if you're saying, if you want me, if you want to call me out for splitting hairs here, that's absolutely fine. It's 2020 and I've been called worse. These, the flaws the Cubs have had are just being magnified right now. This is, these are all of the things the Cubs have been terrible at for four years being shown on an even larger scale and bigger stage in a shorter time span. That's what this is. And the question that everybody asked the moment John Lester signed that contract going into 2015 is, is now coming to bear. And everybody said that they'd be fine with John Lester being bad at the end of his contract as long as he was good and the Cubs won a World Series early. And they did. Mission accomplished. This is what you always knew it was going to look like on the back end. Unfortunately, what's happening here is that the the system failure of being able to bring up any arms whatsoever through a system has laid you bare. And now there's not much left than just to hope for somebody to show up and give you a halfway decent start and pray that the bats that have been quiet for three seasons wake up every now and again. It's almost like you're driving down the highway and you know you're about to be out of gas and you know that the next gas station isn't for another seven miles. And you just say, all right, let's just ride this to as far as we can go. And you get what you're dealt with. Um, the John Lester, I, I like how you put it, with, that, with everything 
that the Cubs have had their flaws over the past couple of years just being magnified right now because that's exactly what's going on. But it's it's being magnified because it's a guy like John Lester who is continuing to decline. And it's because Javier Baez can only be bad Javier Baez so far this year. And an unhealthy Chris Bryant isn't able to launch balls on the inner third over the stands anymore because he just he's not healthy enough to do it. And a guy like Anthony Rizzo still has trouble hitting with runners in the bases. I mean, those those are all big, huge members of this team not contributing, so that's why it gets blown up a little more. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess I spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, but I spent some time breaking down some numbers with John Lester, but it, it just really comes down to, like, he, he doesn't have it as much as he used to have it. I mean, maybe he'll he'll still come away with, with a few good outings, but uh, I found this story by Tony Andracchi when he was working for NBC Sports last year about how he, he was losing his fastball velocity, so he, he worked more with the cutter. So I, I checked up on Baseball Savant, you know, what that cutter is looking like now, and the cutter's barely moving. The cutter has an average uh, break of less than half an inch, and he's given up five of his nine home runs on that cutter, one of them being tonight against Paul Goldschmidt. So he's just he's running out of options. Like, that's what's going on. And I, I agree, love John Lester to death. I feel like... He's got to be the second best free agent signing in Chicago sports history, right behind Marion Hosa. It's it's tough to argue with that. Uh, Hosa, yeah. But sure. but I mean, it's what what can you do? It's it you got what you paid for. He he wins a World Series. He's not the John Lester of old, and he probably won't be. Is the worst Mike Glennon or Milton Bradley? Or Adam Dunn. Well, Adam Dunn won a Comeback Player of the Year well, award. Easy to come back from where that was. Oh, man, we could really have fun with this. I'm going to go with Mike Glennon. I'm going to go with Mike. Maybe that's just recency bias, but I'm going to go with Mike Glennon. Plus, I got kind of a football thing going on. I I think you're you're right about Lester. It's the cutter that's that's the culprit here. You He's a left-hander who has to be able to throw his cutter into right-handers. That's a dangerous proposition from jump. And when your cutter's not moving, it kills you. I, you know, Adbert Alzali is going to get another start, I think, only because they don't have another opportunity. I know he got sent down to um, to South Bend, but that, it doesn't mean anything this year. It's just, that's how they're manipulating the roster. Or that's how they're manipulating the games and the healthy bodies. I would imagine Colin Ray gets a start very soon. Um, I would imagine the pressure is on Jose Quintana to get healthy really quick. And, and further... I don't know if you read Patrick Mooney's piece in The Athletic that came out. Um, I want to say it was Saturday, but, you know, the, the weekend kind of blurred together for me. Uh, you can expect a crunch in numbers for 2021 from the Cubs. I mean, you everybody knows what their revenue stream has been like, mostly because ownership has has been very vocal about it. I think most teams expect a crunch on free agent spending going into 2021. I think most teams expect to be able to reduce their budgets through that. And I I would expect with the Cubs ne- really only being contractually obligated to two starters after this season, Kyle Hendricks and Yu Darvish, that, you know, with Quintana has an option and Lester has an option, but, you know, I, I don't see them picking up a $20 million option on John Lester. Quintana is kind of anybody's guess because it's not that expensive. It's in the mid-teens, but... You know, that's kind of the price of poker at this point. If you want to go play for less, 
you know, at the bargain bin, because that's what free agency is going to look like. I wouldn't be surprised at all if 2021 is a roll it back one that last time for the Cubs offense and then just a bunch of dudes, just a whole like six, seven, eight, nine guys that could all just be the same guy in a rotation and they'll just rotate them all in and out all year long. Because I think 2021 is going to have some sort of, you know, COVID issue attached to it as well when it comes to baseball. I didn't want to bring up this topic today. I've been kind of keeping this in my back pocket just just in case. Um, but maybe I'll just somewhat go into it because you touched on a lot of points that back up this idea. When do we start talking about another Cubs rebuild? I mean, I don't know if that's what you were starting to allude to. And I and I know, I know this team is in first place. And no matter what they do against the Cardinals on Monday, they will be in first place. But I just, I look at the situation and a lot of it has to do with the whole COVID situation because you're going to get a lot of teams these next couple of years that will not want to spend money on free agents or not have money on free agents. And they're going to be able to get away with that. But the Cubs have some assets with expiring contracts, whether it's one or two years, to give teams players that they don't have to spend money on. They can repay with other young talent. And it again, I only bring this up because of the contracts that the Cubs have right now, the Chris Bryants, the Javier Baez's. Um, I mean, the, the ones that really don't really fit the bill right now is okay you darvish but right now he's bulking up his value like crazy uh kyle hendrick's exact numbers escape me right now but he's a free agent the next two years or so one year so when do you start to have that conversation because do you think about it if they were to go that route and it would piss off a lot of people and confuse a lot of people and rightly so and here's another whole part of the aspect. Theo and Jed have to be on board for what I'm going at because don't you think they would be licking their chops on a situation to rebuild a team where they gather talent from other organizations and they save money and the economy comes on the incline, hopefully for all of us, in three to four to five years, and they have the opportunity to just strike gold again. I don't know. I, I'm not saying this is what needs to happen. I'm saying, when do you start to have that conversation? I think I think you start to have that conversation after the playoffs. I think that conversation happens right away. Um, I think you're right. This is still a Cubs team that can win a playoff round or two until you meet the Dodgers. And then, you know, no one's no one's getting past it. I mean, it's baseball and it's weird. And everybody's been saying that for four or five years now. Who, how are you getting past the Dodgers? But Clinton Kershaw has a 1-5 ERA and the guy's 39, right? I mean, it's ridiculous what he's doing. What the whole team is doing, it's all ridiculous. I want them all drug tested. But I still think the Cubs are a team that can get hot, you know, assuming they, they stay somewhat healthy. Like, you can't lose you Darvish or Kyle Hendricks or whatever. But they're a healthy Chris Bryant away from being a factor in the playoffs. They're a consistent Wilson Contreras away. They're a solid Anthony. You know what I mean? Like, they have those pieces that can still make you formidable. But the, the conversation starts the moment the playoffs come down because the issues they're facing are systematic issues. They are from the ground up issues that, that Theo and Jed, in their wisdom, and I, I truly mean this, this is not tongue in cheek, 
in their wisdom have still failed to achieve. Like they've, they've just not gotten to a point where they've been able to feed young arms into this Cubs system. And I, I think the conversation also has to start as soon as the playoffs end from a lot of different angles, because I don't know if Theo wants to do another rebuild. And I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't want to. And I, I would say the same about Jed Hoyer. You know, so many people are, are oh, would Theo would leave and then Jed would just take the top spot and do the next rebuild kind of thing. Does Jed want to rebuild? He's Jed freaking Hoyer. If Brian Cashman wants out of the Yankees, why wouldn't the Yankees call Jed Hoyer? He's Jed Hoyer. People don't realize that he has that kind of name in baseball because he's been second fiddle to Theo his entire career like if if you want if you want to do the next rebuild then you've got every reason to go i don't know hire jeff sullivan from tampa bay as you do to try and over promote somebody from within or hang on to jet hoyer for whatever's left like if you really do want to tear this thing down and trade darvish and trade bryant and really really rip the thing down there's every reason to rip the whole thing down and look at Theo and Jed and say, thank you so much for your time. God go with you. Best of luck wherever you want to go because you guys get to go wherever the hell you want to go. You're Theo Epstein and Jed freaking Hoyer. You get whatever you want in baseball for the rest of your lives because you've earned it. Well, my, my whole idea like basically works or stems from the fact that Theo and Jed are still running the ship on this whole thing. Like, I don't see a world where Tom Ricketts goes, hey, Theo, thanks a lot, but we're going to go in another direction. Because, I mean, if you want to go through another rebuild, why not have those guys that just they want the fresh slate, probably on their own, too, so that they can move past some of the things that they learned in this whole Cubs regime. I mean, because think about it. Theo Epstein wanted to rebuild with the Red Sox four years after they won the World Series in 2007. And it turned out to be the right thing. Right. Um, the Red Sox didn't want that. That's basically why he ended with the Cubs. But like, I, I don't think I, I'm, I'm sure this this idea has gone through. And I shouldn't say this idea, but an actual deep thought and concentration of the idea of this has gone through Theo Epstein's brain. But I don't see it happening in a way where Tom's like, "Hey, Theo, we're we're gonna totally shut down just because it's like, hey, man, this was your thing. This is your baby. Do you want another crack at it? Because it's it's on the table for you." Oh, no doubt. I don't get me wrong. I Theo leaves when he wants to leave. Jed leaves when he wants to leave. Right? Like nothing. The Ricketts aren't aren't making Theo leave. They're not making Jed leave. Right? I'm. I think on their own accord they could be ready for the next step in whatever their respective careers are. I think for the more immediate term right now, David Ross is staring at a bunch of problems that um, that he can't fix with guys on hand. And that's not his fault. I think um, I saw a national piece. It might have been Nightingale, might have been Heyman, I, I forget who, uh, but has David Ross in running for manager of the year in the National League. And, and why not? He should be, absolutely should be. First-year guy with a team... Where they're at, despite all the issues they've had, sure, absolutely. But they've got to keep pitching John Lester. You know, they, with the injuries they have, John Lester's going to take his turn in the next five days. And, and geez, the, the next five days don't get a whole lot easier for the Cubs, right? It's the Cardinals again on Labor Day Monday, the Reds for three, and then the Brewers over the weekend. And, and I yeah, the Reds have been struggling to get things together, and the Brewers are just a shadow of their former selves. But you got to keep playing every day. You don't have these built-in off days 
like the White Sox do or like a couple others do. You are in the thick of it now, and John Lester's got to take his turn five days from now. The other really fun thing about this season, and maybe it's fun, maybe it's uh, driving Cub fans insane, but it's like, okay, you know they're going to the playoffs. You know they are. So, yes, yes, these games matter. Sure, they matter more because it's a smaller sample size, but, again, you're going to the playoffs. So do they really matter that much? And all that's left for you to do is just dissect your team and point out the flaws, and every time the flaws come out, point your finger at them and be like, look at this. This is never going to work. This is never going to work. And White Sox fans are doing it too. Yeah. And you're just not going to know anything until you get in that best of three series against a team you didn't even play at all during the regular season. I mean, there's so much randomness that goes into baseball already. It's just a whole nother crapshoot with this season. I I do keep thinking of the idea of like, yeah, it is going to be kind of cool when teams are playing teams in the playoffs after not seeing them all year long and a World Series in that same way. I guess that could actually probably happen with an NL or whatever, a same division team, but you get what I'm saying. It it, it brings it kind of back to the old school days where you didn't see the other league until you you made it to the World Series. Yeah, Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. I'll be really interested to see some of those matchups. We'll get some stuff we haven't seen before. Really, for the Cubs, it's how healthy can you get before that playoff series starts? And right now, they got a I got a lot of questions and a lot of hope to throw into that question. That is the end of episode 13 of the Baseball From Home podcast. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Next pod comes out on Friday morning. We'll talk to you then. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.